Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. How are we? Are we all good? Good. Um, if you're a guest or visitor, my name is Hannah. I'm part of the team here at Lagan Valley Vineyard and it is my absolute joy to be sharing with you guys this morning or this afternoon. Um, if I do that, feel free just to call me out. Um, since the end of the summer, if you're a guest or visitor, we have been looking at two questions. What is the church and why is this important? Um, and it's still about 10 weeks of teaching into one really, really simple sentence. What we have been looking at is the church is a people, not a place, a people that are gathered around the specific purpose of following Jesus and learning with him to demonstrate the reality of his kingdom in the world. This building is not the church. The staff and the leaders that you see up on the front here are not the church. We, every single one of us together, are the church. And that is whether you have been following Jesus for 10 seconds or 10 decades, we are the church. And we have a purpose It's not just to be nice people and to show up here on a Sunday, but our purpose is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and to learn to demonstrate what it would be like if Jesus lived your life, he worked your job, he spent time in the places that you spend throughout the week. And so to help us learn how to do this, how to be the church, we've been teaching into five integral practices, formation, service, worship, community, and generosity. And two weeks ago, if you were here, Andy challenged us that each of these practices, they won't in and of themselves transform us into the image of Jesus without commitment. You see, the reality is that we can come here on a Sunday and hear the most inspiring, thought-provoking, challenging sermon that we've ever heard in our life and come back in here the next week completely untransformed. And yes, the reality is the Spirit of God is alive and active in our lives, guiding and shaping us towards the likeness of Jesus. But this transformation also requires something of us individually. It requires us to make commitments in order to create space in our day-to-day ordinary lives to allow for that transformation. I am 27 and I think that for those of us that are aged 35 and under, kind of particularly between 25 and 35, I think if we're really honest, we find the area of commitment particularly difficult. Or maybe it's not that we find it difficult, but we just don't really have a value for it. We are the generation that has never had more content available to us at any given moment, yet rather than empower us, I believe that this has marred us. 
And as a result, I think that we are the generation that struggles to see the value of making commitments. And I'm not saying this because I think that this is particularly our fault. I think it's the consequence of the stage of life that we were in whenever there were massive changes that happened in the world around us. Does anyone remember ExtraVision? I miss it. I miss going on a Friday night, having a quick wee browse, picking a film and watching it probably three times over the weekend. And then along came Netflix and we have just an abundance of films that we can choose, that we can watch the first 30 minutes and if it hasn't really hooked us, we just move on to something else. We as a generation, we went from knowing our best friend's landline number off by heart to having social media where we would have hundreds of friends on social media, but no real idea of what it actually means to commit and be a good friend. Our access to unlimited content has developed in us a value for minimal commitment. And I want to say this out of love this morning, because in 10 years time, when we're nearing 40 and 50, if we're not careful, we will look at our lives and be like, I really didn't see myself being here. I thought I'd be somewhere else by now. And it's because we didn't make the commitments required in order for us to get there. And I'm not saying that we'll look at our lives and be like, oh, I thought I was married or have that house or have that job or whatever whatever those kind of things. But although all of those things absolutely require commitment, but I mean internally that in 10 years time, we won't really have matured or changed at all. That we won't have become more generous or learned how to be a better friend or gone any deeper in our faith. And so I wanna ask us, those that are between 25 and 35, but also if you are slightly outside this bracket and you still identify with this, I'm not, this is not an opportunity to write this off, but what is it that we want from the church and what is it that we want from Jesus? Because if we wanna be a part of a church that is real and active, that we see the church function in the way that we desire, we need to wholeheartedly commit to it and be the church that we want to see. The reality is it's completely unrealistic to expect any form of transformation into the likeness of Jesus to happen without commitment. And so, Speaking to all of us now, what will this commitment look like? Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be re-looking at each of the five practices that we previously explored, formation, service, worship, generosity, and community. But this time we're gonna view them not just as practices, but as commitments that we, the church, want to intentionally live into over the next year. Does this sound familiar? Is everyone with me? Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. So this morning I am going to be building on um, a teaching that I gave a couple of weeks ago on worship. But first, will we pray? Is that right? God, we commit this time to you. We give you our full attention 
that this moment this afternoon, it will be an act of worship as we focus our eyes on you. So Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you guide us? Will you help us to understand what it means to be the church? Holy Spirit, come. Amen. We all worship. Repeat that back to me. It is vital that we begin to truly understand this about ourselves, that there is no such thing as somebody that doesn't worship. There's some part of what it means to be human that constantly longs to align itself towards someone or something that will take the place of God in our lives. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves is not whether we worship, but what What does the thing that you worship, that you align your passions, your attention, your resources, what is it? And does it feel life-giving or does it feel destructive? If you're struggling with the word worship, if you're like, Hannah, I just really can't really put my finger on what it is that I'm worshiping. I'm still not convinced that I'm doing that. It's maybe more helpful to ask yourself, what has your attention Often we can think of worship as a feeling, but this is really unhelpful because it is not. If you used to get the three, two, one emails that we used to send out, you'll remember this line, our attention is the beginning of our devotion. And so when we think of worship, maybe a better question to be asking yourselves is how much time do I spend thinking about my bank balance? or what people think about me, or what you look like, or whether people have noticed that new thing that you've got or that post that you've just shared online. What consumes our attention is a pretty good indicator of what we worship. And so this This is why the church is really important when we begin to think of worship in this way because they, the people on your left and right, will help guide you if you commit to letting their voice have any value in your life to worship something that is worth your worship. What does that look like? You're experiencing it right now. When was the last time that somebody asked you about how much time you are consumed by thinking about your bank balance or how you think about social media or what you look like or told you that life is meaningless without commitments? This church, this community will help us to put our worship in the right place. We all worship. Repeat that back to me. So why is a commitment to worship important for our transformation into the likeness of Jesus? I grew up going to Donegal a couple of times a year. Um, Anyone a Dunfanachy lover? A few, a few wee hands. Um, Yeah, I went a couple of times a year. I got to go with my best friend, Siobhan, and uh, we absolutely loved spending time with each other. We were like attached to the hip, would just be constantly, every second was spent together, just really enjoyed each other's company. However, there was this one thing that Siobhan did that used to really annoy me. She had this habit of copying me, and I went to great lengths 
to avoid it. Now, this would happen more than once that we would be out for dinner and Siobhan would be like, what are you going to get to drink? And I would know that she was probably going to copy me. So I'd be like, mm, I don't really know what I'm going to get. What are you going to get? And then she'd be like, I think I might get a Sprite, hoping that that would influence my decision. But instead, even if there was nothing more in my life that I wanted than a Sprite, I would be getting Fanta. And so then the waiter would come round and they'd ask us what I want. And I would purposely just delay making my order so that it got to her first. And uh, she'd say, I'll, ha- I'll have a Sprite. And uh, the waiter would get to me and I'd be like, I'll, I'll have a Fanta. And then to my horror, Siobhan would turn to her mom and she'd be like, mom, can you change my order to a Fanta? I'd be like, no. And so I literally, I am not even joking. Like I would go to the bathroom. Siobhan obviously would decide she also needed to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom, run back out, find the waiter and change my order to a Coke. <laughs> and now if you can't relate to this story at all, you are a Siobhan because Siobhans are always oblivious that they are copying. If you have kids or you've spent time with kids, you'll understand that that they imitate and they reflect the people that they spend time with. And here's the thing that we miss, that kids only begin what we continue to do as adults. This childlike ability to consciously or unconsciously be formed by what we give our attention to never ceases. And this is a really good and beautiful thing depending on what has our attention, right? There's a theologian called G.K. Bale and he writes this, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. And in other words, we become like that which we worship, that which we give our attention to. And and this is part of our very human nature. And we see this in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, when scripture is telling us about why and for what purpose God created humanity. If you have a black Bible, it is page one. If you wanna turn there. So Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 27. Holy Spirit, come. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. What we see is we were created in God's image in order to reflect his character and his glory and to fill the whole earth with it. The commands that we see in these verses to subdue and rule and be fruitful and multiply multiply are reflections of how God subdued the darkness and the chaos, how he ruled over creation by stewarding it well and was fruitful and multiplied through the act of creating every living thing. 
And a couple of verses later, we see that resting is another important command given to us that is a reflection of God's character. What this text tells us about why and for what purpose we have been created is that we are worshipful beings. We are created to have our attention drawn towards God and reflect his image in the world. We all worship, we all reflect. And yet, if we know this story, we know that it doesn't end here. In Genesis three, if you flip over the page, humanity allows its attention to be drawn elsewhere and begins to reflect another. Adam and Eve's attention shifted from God towards the temptations of a snake. And we know the rest of the story, but notice how the snake is portrayed in Genesis 3 as a deceiver or crafty in verse 1 and 13 and acts as a liar in verse 4. And shortly after Adam and Eve direct their attention onto the snake, Adam avoids directly answering God's question about whether he has eaten from the tree, followed by deceptively blaming Eve instead. What we see is the moment that Adam and Eve give their attention to the snake, the moment their attention shifts, they begin to reflect it. Once again, in the words of Beal, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. And this is why idolatry, giving our worship towards anything other than God, is warned about over and over and over again in Scripture. It isn't because God is insecure and needs our worship. It is because the worship of all other things will lead us into death and not life. It is not what we have been designed for. We see this in Psalm 135, verse 15. I'm just gonna read this out. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Let me read that again, verse 18. Those who make them will be like them and so all who trust in them will be also. This whole thing about not seeing and not hearing, it comes up quite a lot in the Old Testament and whenever we see it, we need to understand that it's pointing towards idolatry. Isaiah 6 God has had enough of the Israelites continually choosing to worship these pagan gods that is leading to them being utterly corrupted and ruined by them. And so he says, okay, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Because the reality is God's spirit cannot bring about transformation in our lives if we do not commit to him. If we don't give space in our everyday lives to give him our attention and our worship. 
And so this leads me to the first commitment that I want to propose to us Lagan Valley Vineyard to commit to over the next year. If we wanna see the reality of God's kingdom in our lives and in the world around us, if we wanna have a faith that is real and on fire and deeper in 10 years time than it is now, we need to commit to worshiping him. And I don't just mean for an hour and a half on a Sunday, I mean like everyday type worship. Because we all worship. We are never not worshiping. And we are never not being formed by that which has our attention. And so in the coming year, I want us to commit to a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of worship. What does that look like? It looks like having our days punctuated with opportunities to realign our attention towards him. Our prayer life being vibrant and regular, having rhythms of gratitude both individually and corporately. Really practically, it looks like committing to once we hit the alarm in the morning, rather than reaching for our phone, just taking a moment to center ourselves and give our attention to God. It looks like in the midst of um, the busy school run or driving to work, taking a moment intentionally in the car to be like, God, will you help us to see those around us and to love them well today? It looks like when we're making dinner, putting worship music on in the kitchen and not just being background noise, but actually choosing to engage with it. Taking time over dinner to share the things and the people that you're grateful for and to give thanks. A lifestyle of worship, it is the commitment to small, mundane, everyday type practices punctuated throughout the day to align our attention, our worship towards God. And if we commit to this, if we commit to making space then watch how your heart will become transformed over time. Watch how you will reflect Jesus in how you handle situations with more grace or more generous with your time with those around you. See more clearly and hear more wisely. Watch how you will become transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus and begin to demonstrate what it would look like if he lived your life, worked your job, spent time in the places that you spend your time in and loved those around you. Really practically, in in a couple of weeks' time, Stu and Dana are gonna be releasing um, an Advent booklet And it's gonna have ways that'll just guide us like throughout the day to something to pray in the morning for the afternoon and for the evening. And I would really love for this to be our taster of what it could be like to commit to a lifestyle of worship in the year ahead. Consider it as the little commitment before the big commitment. Because these booklets are a really tangible of ex- tangible example of how the church can help us worship something that is worth our worship. And so whether you live alone, you're part of a busy family, particularly those that are age 35 and under, let's commit to trying this together as a church family. And if after you've done it, 
and you're like, do you know what? I actually feel like I have my own rhythms of what it looks like to have a lifestyle of worship. That is totally okay. But don't write it off without trying it first together. You'll hear more about that um, in a couple of weeks' time and how you'll be able to get those booklets. But to summarize, we all worship. We all reflect. So let's commit to a lifestyle of worshiping God. I want to change gears ever so slightly. Now that we understand the purpose and the importance of worship, I want to speak really briefly into the purpose and importance of sung worship. S-U-N-G. Somebody in the first told me they thought I was saying sun, like worshiping the sun. I'm talking about sung, like singing songs. <laughs> I'm aware that I've really advocated for a lifestyle of worship versus a, mon- a moment on a Sunday, but I want to take a few minutes to speak into the purpose of sung worship together and why that's important. You see, sung worship really simply is a practice of worship as a whole. And so once we understand the whole idea of worship, we're able to zoom in and understand better this particular practice. Sung worship, singing songs, it's modeled throughout scripture and the history of the church. Following the Exodus, um, Moses and the Israelites, they sang a song of praise together. Israel sang songs in the tabernacle and the temple in First Chronicles. And the Psalms, this whole book instructs us how to raise our voices in sung worship in seasons of joy, of sorrow, of praise and lament. In the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples sang a song together following the Last Supper. Paul and Silas, they sang hymns in jail and Paul instructed the church of Colossae to sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. And really simply, the fundamental purpose of sung worship is exactly the same as our lifestyle of worship. It is to give worth to God, to fix our attention on him. The songs that we sing, they're like vehicles that help us to recognize God's presence within and around us. And so just as we need to be careful with worship in general and what has our attention, we need to be careful about what has our attention whenever we sing worship together. Because the moment that our attention shifts, the moment that we make worship about anything other than fixing our attention on God, we have deviated towards the worship of something else. What is it that has your attention whenever we sing together? See, the reality is it's possible to sing worship songs to God, but not actually be worshiping him. If our ability to worship is dependent upon who's leading or what songs we're singing or whether we feel like worshiping or not, then something else other than him has our attention If we pay to go to worship conferences or we sit down after a Sunday morning and think, I didn't really get a lot from that. 
or I got loads from that. We've actually made it about ourselves or the people and the platforms that are leading us and we've deviated from simply giving him worth. People get caught up all the time on things like whether we should have lights on stages or not, what instruments should be playing and shouldn't be playing, how loud the volume is or shouldn't be. The reality is this stuff doesn't matter whether it's there or not. What matters is that when we worship, our attention is on God. And the singing of songs together is an age-old practice of how the church does this. What is the purpose of sung worship? Sung worship is simply a practice of worship. And so the purpose is fundamentally to give worth to God. So why is sung worship important? And why is it important that we commit to being here on a Sunday? Firstly, just as we reflect what we worship in general, this is also true for when we practice sung worship. I'm gonna absolutely butcher this, but there's a Latin term called lex orandi, lex credendi. And uh, it's roughly translated as the way that you worship determines what you believe. The way you worship determines what you believe. And since the first centuries of the church, people have recognized that the way we worship affects what we believe and vice versa. Through sung worship, consciously or subconsciously, we are meditating on theological truths of who God is and how he acts. And in turn, we are formed and encouraged to live similarly. Be really honest with me. Put your hand up if you can recite more scripture than you can worship song lyrics. I have just finished studying six years of Kingdom Theology with WTC, six years. And I can honestly, hand on my heart, say that I can recite more song lyrics than I can scripture. The thing is, this isn't really a bad thing so long as the songs that we are singing have good theology, right? When our worship teams are choosing the songs that we sing on a Sunday, they're not picking them because they really like the melody or the guitar riffs. We choose them because we believe that these songs are communicating something that is worth communicating. I don't have time to go into it right now, but there's songs that we have axed because we just don't think the words are good. That they're not building and forming a good theology in us as a community. And this is a really live conversation that whenever we look at singing a new song on a Sunday, we ask the question, what is this teaching us about God? And what is this gonna form in our community? Our times of sung worship, they are so important because they are formative. These songs form what we think about God, which in turn forms how we are transformed into his likeness. 
Songs are formational. Second point and final point. Sung worship is important because it plays a huge role in encouraging and edifying the church. Edifying really simply means to challenge or to instruct. These moments when we come together to sing worship together and lift up one voice, one sound together are not just formative for us individually, but collectively. And in Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul writes this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's really easy to miss this, but notice that it's through our singing of hymns and songs and psalms that we teach and admonish one another. Paul is saying that when we gather to sing, it's not just about you and God, it's about us and God. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, Paul explicitly warns the church that focusing on God does not mean becoming unaware of everything and everyone present. And this might not be something that is deeply formed in us whenever we think about our times of worship. And the reality is that this has a lot to do with so many of our worship songs singing about me and Jesus and not us and Jesus. And I am, I am not going after me and Jesus songs at all. Like they are, there are moments where these songs are incredibly important, particularly moments of response where we are taking a moment to intentionally just ourselves before Jesus to respond. But singing too many of these songs, they subconsciously form in us that these moments of sung worship where we gather are more about individual than collective worship. And I don't know if CCLI will come hunting us down with a lawsuit or not, but James and I have been hemming and hawing about changing some of the lyrics of the songs that we sing from me to we. Because we just think it would be really helpful for us to grasp more fully that our times of worship are collective, not individual. And so you'll actually notice when we come to respond this afternoon, I've asked Lucy to change some of the lyrics. And it is my prayer that this doesn't catch us out, but it instead will help us to realize that we are lifting our attention together towards God encouraging and spurring each other on to point our worship towards the one that is worthy. Kind of running out of time here. <laughs> do the worship team, do you just want to jump up? I feel like I need some accountability up here. Our times of worship are important because they are formative and because they encourage and edify one another. 
And so your commitment to being here, to worshiping together on a Sunday involves and affects every single one of us. And so similarly, your choice not to be here on Sunday not only affects you, but all of us. And this isn't a judgment or a guilt trip. It's simply saying the fact that you matter and that your worship makes a difference. Because whenever we gather together and sing songs of worship, this atmosphere shifts. And it has absolutely nothing to do with this building and absolutely everything to do with us coming together and fixing our attention on God. There's something happens that when we come together expectant to experience and spend time with God, that an atmosphere of faith rises in this place that makes things possible that don't feel possible in other environments. And this atmosphere is utterly incomparable to any type of worship that you will find on YouTube or any concert that you pay to go and see without your church community gathered around you on your left and on your right. If you're able, will you stand? The atmosphere of faith and expectancy whenever the church gathers to fix its attention on God is undeniable and tangible. We hear this all the time when when people come here for the first time on a Sunday, particularly if they're not very familiar with church or with Jesus, it's the worship that they come away saying, there was just something going on there. Can't quite articulate it, but there was just something that was happening whenever you all started singing. My sister started coming to LVV um, a number of years ago. And for weeks, she would just cry at the back of the room during worship. For weeks, she had no idea what was going on, why she was crying, but there was just something about the atmosphere when the church started fixing their attention on God and raising one voice together in worship that just made the presence of God so tangible. And I know that this isn't just her story. I know that there's others in the room that this has been the reality. That when we worship, the atmosphere shifts and changes. Things become possible that didn't feel possible before. And so if our first commitment is to a lifestyle of worship, I wanna propose to us that our second commitment, which is inseparable from the first, is the weekly practice of sung worship together. A commitment to showing up to worship with this church week in and week out. To showing up in the seasons where the songs that we maybe once loved to sing feel difficult 
and heavy and if we were left to our own devices, we would maybe set them down. But instead we show up and we let the voices around us carry us. A commitment to showing up whenever we don't want to because we're not scared of our worship being costly when it's being pointed towards the one who is worthy of our worship, a commitment to showing up because we know that on the other side of commitment is transformation. I have spoken for far too long and I feel like the only appropriate way that we can respond this afternoon is to take a moment to do just that, to worship him to practice what we have the privilege of doing together every Sunday as we gather together and lift up one voice and one song. So let me pray for us and let's worship. God, we fix our attention on you right now. We, your church, we lift up one voice, one sign, one song to you. Holy Spirit, will you come and guide us and transform our hearts as we worship, that we will reflect you as we gaze in wonder and in awe of who you are. Holy Spirit, come. Let's worship.